1: Well, welcome back. As we head into our third hour today, we do so with Hugh Hallman, as we do almost every Tuesday. It's a delight to have Hugh back in studio with us. He's the former mayor of Tempe. He's an educator. He's an attorney. He is uh, one of the people I was referencing in my monologue earlier today, who helps uh, make this show run and hum, and uh, who helps uh, make me hum and run. Uh, Hugh Hallman, there's a lot on the on the on the uh, news desk today, and um, Maybe just breaking uh, is the story that the judge here in Maricopa County, Superior Court Thompson, I believe his name is, has declined to award um, uh, sanctions or has declined to sanction Kerry Lake's attorneys uh, for the two counts they brought uh, that he let go forward to trial uh, last week. Uh, Interesting. Um, A lot of people speculated that there could be sanctions and... um, this judge, I have to say, has been very responsible in trying to, shall we say, lower the temperature. That's what I think I see with all this. What do you think?
2: While one tries not to view and hopes that courts will not be political mechanisms, it does not mean that judges are uh, fail to understand the context in which they're operating. And in this instance, I believe Judge Thompson understands that this is a very hot kitchen. And so... Uh, My explanation for what has occurred so far is that the judge ruled that at least two claims could be brought forward and go through full trial uh, with uh, Ms. Lake's lawyers putting on their evidence. At the end of two days, the judge effectively concluded in his opinion, in his order, that no evidence to sustain the claims that remained was presented. That's an important standard for this issue about sanctions, because lawyers can only put forward claims in court, unlike Twitter and Facebook and other things. Uh, They must provide evidence of facts that sustain their claims, sort of case, uh, black letter law is what we call it. You make a list of the things you have to prove, and you have to have the evidence that would prove each of those elements. The pieces of a claim. I'll give you an example. If I'm suing you because uh, I've been injured on your property, I have to demonstrate a couple of things. I have to show that you had a duty to me, that on your property you have to at least take reasonable care, that you had a duty, that there was a breach of that duty, that I was injured by that breach, and that I had some damages. Those are the a concept of elements of a claim. Duty breach caused damages for a claim like that. Well, you have the same sort of claims in all of the cases that exist, and in these election cases where uh, Carrie Lake is asserting that she was denied office, they had a series of things that they had to at least provide evidence to demonstrate so that the court could conclude, based on that evidence, whether or not there was a sufficient standard met. Well, in this instance, the judge effectively said there was no evidence presented that uh, uh, assertions of views and beliefs are not the same things as evidence of facts that uphold the claim. And that's what brought us around to sanctions. Well, why did the judge even allow the claimants to go forward if the evidence was going to be so thin? Well, first they make a complaint. They file a complaint in the court. And those complaints say, we believe there are facts, and these are the facts that we believe exist, and we'll prove those facts. What's interesting to me is, for example, Abe Hamaday's complaint uh, was filed, one of them was filed, as a verified complaint. And that's a fancy word for saying that the person who's the subject of the claim, the plaintiff, had, in, this the case, plaintiff yeah. in this case, Abe Hamaday, had to sign the complaint, not just his lawyer. Typically, a lawyer si- signs the complaints and submits them to court. That's how the process right. works. If
1: I see you on that uh, property damage situation or tort that we were talking about, I wouldn't sign it. My lawyer would sign that's
2: it. That's correct. Right. And if I sued right. you, my lawyer right. would sign it. Right. Um, and, and, or if I'm representing myself, because each of us is a lawyer. Well, so is Abe Hamaday. And that's what's fascinating in his case is that his complaint was filed as a verified complaint, meaning that the actual person who the claim is about, the complaint is about, signs it saying that they have personal knowledge of the facts that support the case. And his case is handled the same way. There are no facts have been presented. No evidence was offered that supported the claims. And I think that puts Mr. Hamada in a bad spot Mm -hmm. because not only has he as an individual signed that complaint saying that he's got personal knowledge uh, supporting the the claims, but he's a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And lawyers, even in their individual capacity, are held to higher standards. And I do wonder how that's going to play oh, out over time. And I don't know. So that we ended up with the court throwing out uh, Ms. Lake's and uh, Mr. Hamaday's complaints entirely, with Mr. Hamaday looking like he's not going to appeal while Kerry Lake is going to appeal. Maybe. 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 It, it's hard to tell yeah. now, isn't yeah. it? In yeah. just the 24 yeah. hours that have yeah. gone on, yeah. enough political uh, fallout has occurred that uh, I think the ground is shaking un- uh, under their supporters.
1: Can I, can I explain why I said maybe no, real quick or is it interrupting No, your, please. Your thought? I, it it seems thought? to me Judge Thompson is throwing out kind of an olive branch to calm the waters, or as I said earlier, lower the temperature. Um, and Bringing us back to the point you were trying to get me to make. Well, no, I just, if he's trying to lower the temperature and stop the retribution on both sides, it's kind of sending, offering an olive branch is, can we let this die here? On this vine of the olive tree,
2: yeah, by not by not upholding what I not think ratcheting
1: are, it up everything, uh,
2: not a, uh, not offering or providing a basis for the sanctions. I believe it's the Elias Law Firm that asked for sanctions specifically every other law firm in my quick look at all of their filings were filing for uh, attorneys fees.
1: Liddy might have been uh,
2: his was attorneys fees. Oh, I think it even wasn't the county's me. was okay. attorneys okay. fees. Okay. And I believe okay. and so the but the point is I think the judge is going to award attorneys fees yeah. because once you play the game here if you're going to assert facts and then not provide evidence for them, you don't get to do that for free. And that it's not uh, affair that the side that has to defend itself against allegations um, has to then pay for the attorneys that provide that that defense in the in the face of a a lack of what the court has essentially determined, a complete lack of evidence that supports the claims. So here you've got, I believe, a judge recognizing that you've got a very hot kitchen, and in that kitchen has allowed the plaintiff to go forward to try to prove something so that there's at least the opportunity for that plaintiff, Ms. Lake, Mr. Hamaday, to demonstrate that they had some facts, and they appear to have failed completely in that. That sort of strips away a basis for arguing that somehow they have not had justice provided to them. The sanctions piece I think you're pointing out is that had the judge awarded sanctions, it would have provided a grounds for appeal yeah, more to overcome that
1: less, yeah.
2: and that it's not worth the state's interest to uh, seek sanctions Although I suspect the attorneys' fees uh, applications will be granted, and there may be appeals on those fronts,
1: one We're does talking roughly fifty thousand as opposed to roughly eight hundred thousand. Correct, seven, seven or eight
2: hundred thousand yeah. yeah, is right, what I put right. the thumbnail on when I read all the materials. But what I am puzzled by is that it is possible up until now that the fundraising machines that are running, because I get the fundraising yep, emails, you get too. the fundraising yep. emails, lots of your listeners do, that come help us, send us money to defend our victory. Uh, and certainly the Republican Party has been sending those kinds of things out. Uh, Carrie Lake has gotten lots of traction nationally for her claims, uh, on certain news coverages and, and, uh, political shows. And I suspect that the fundraising has exceeded, probably, the costs yeah, of probably. running the lawsuits. Sure. And so that if one is into the fundraising game, it's in the interest to continue this process up to a point. I certainly saw that
1: tail wagging the dog here, kind of
2: absolutely tail wagging the dog. And I saw it the last time I really saw this on all fours, uh, (laughs) to use the uh, analogy, was in the uh, Joe Arpaio uh, uh, against John McCain Senate race uh, that the now chairman chairperson of the Republican Party entered. And in that instance, Joe Arpaio clearly was past his prime. Yeah. And yet the fundraising machine kept yeah. moving yeah. at a high rate. A lot rate
1: of money was made on that.
2: And, and was not spent in that campaign. Right. And one then wonders, then what was it being used for and why? And I fear that many people who are good-hearted and and are moved by Carrie Lake's uh, vision of her plight um, are sending money when that money ultimately is not going to be used for the kinds of ends that they those donors were hoping for. And I regret that our system so easily can be manipulated
1: that way. Yeah, right. It was just as you were talking, I was going back to that line of Tocqueville's from the uh, 19th century that he said, um, curiously, in America, hardly is the situation where a political cause does not become a legal cause And this takes it to a new fairly well, doesn't it? All right, there's a lot of other stuff in the news, but that was great analysis, Hugh, for a lot of people that don't quite um, understand how the courts and judges and attorneys and attorneys' fees and losses and wins and appeals work. So thank you for that. Let me take a quick commercial break, and uh, you and I will be right back. We'll go a little uh, national, a little international. I'm Seth Leapson. He's Hugh Hallman. We will be right back. If you are concerned with stock market volatility, our friends at Y ReFi show sponsors and friends both. They have an investment in a portfolio portfolio with a high fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. This is a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers a fixed interest rate up to ten point two five percent, up to ten and a quarter. Why refi is a due diligence approved firm, and you can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, com, or call them at 888-Y-REFI-34, 34. 888-Y-REFI-34. 34. Hugh Hallman is our guest, attorney, educator, businessman, former mayor of Tempe. Let's um, let's uh, make the uh, local and uh, the national and the international uh, news here with Supreme Court leaving Title Forty Two, this infamous or famous now Title Forty Two, in place, which is, I, I suppose, a band aid of some, uh, of some succor, but you know, not exactly. I, I kind of think of it as a as a temporary port in a real storm. I don't know what your view on it is.
2: I, I agree, and uh, let me start not by one saying we here, really here we are in the state of Arizona, like In the first in the first segment we talked about the sort of local high level. St- uh, stuff, that uh, what's going on in the governor's and attorney general's races and the lawsuits that have followed. And that really does bring us to the border because much of the uh, campaign uh, for both candidates in the gubernatorial slot was about immigration. Yeah. And to remind ourselves that we had video of Katie Hobbs dressed in uh, jeans and cowboy boots, walking with sheriffs along the southern border talking about how strong on the border she would be, uh, as just one example of how political the border has become. And with the Title 42, a Trump-era set of regulations that were put in place, in order to allow the, uh, the folks along the border, our immigration services, to return people who are trying to cross a border back to the other side of the uh, Mexican border. In the name of COVID. In the name of COVID. And while I wish we would do real reform to fix what's going on at the border, and frankly advocated it as far back as uh, 2000 and became uh, tagged a rhino in the 2014 uh, treasurer race cycle because I actually proposed a variety of things and still do – of how we fix the border as conservatives and understand that we've got to have enough support to do it in a way that we can get laws enacted and security uh, put in place that will actually do what we say we want done. Uh, I view that the immigration problem starts with the fact that it's broken both on the illegal and the legal side of it, and it is because the legal portion of it is so messed up that we have so many people coming across illegally who we might otherwise, as conservatives, welcome with open arms. Nobody wants to fix that uh, from either side for different reasons. But now we have this Title 42, which is a COVID enactment. I am loathe to be so hypocritical that I would complain about the ridiculous COVID enactments that we saw uh, for two years closure of schools, mask mandates, uh, vaccine mandates for military personnel, etc. And then grab hold of this one and say, "I have to have that because it secures the border at least to some degree." I find that reprehensible. That That's we'll the use the port in the storm. Exactly of. right, the right. bad port in the storm that ultimately leads to our ships having holes uh, uh, ground into, into them, them. Yeah, right. uh, and make them unseaworthy when we need them to. Uh, yeah, uh, so be conservatives are most. the
1: ones saying COVID is still active. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> right? we're now,
2: we're, we're now yeah. using COVID as yeah. the means by which to secure the border, which describes us then, uh, circumscribes us as hypocrites and more easily stopped at the ballot box the next time around. And I'm looking long game here. We need to fix the border, absolutely. But let's not use tools that destroy the very ship that we're trying to use ultimately to take control of the levers of power, if I haven't mixed too many analogies here, um, and, and deal with it. But here's the real point I wanted to make about this massive humanitarian crisis. Joe Biden and uh, and his uh, mentor, Barack Obama, have created this border crisis in, uh, along the southern border in the same way that they have created much of the crisis between Russia and Ukraine. George Herbert Walker Bush started negotiating and ultimately turned over to Bill Clinton the efforts to secure Kazakhstan and Ukraine. Yes, folks, Hugh Hallman's on the air, so he's got to use the word Kazakhstan. Is there an over-under on the number of times I might say the word Kazakhstan?
1: So we you don't want it to be a drinking game.
2: Correct. Not, <laughs> not on this show. No. So here we have uh, the George Herbert Walker Bush uh, administration turning over to the Clinton administration when we did this at least better. And uh, Bill Clinton put in place the Budapest Memorandum, which states that Russia... The U.S., Great Britain and Northern Ireland, because they must, signed this memorandum, effectively a small treaty, guaranteeing the borders of Ukraine as sacrosanct, that the territory of Ukraine would be observed and held uh, in high regard. And by 2009, the reset button, punched by Hillary Clinton at uh, her uh, puppet master's behest, uh, tells Vladimir Putin and the Russians that we're weak and ultimately tanks roll into Ukraine in 2014. And Joe Biden shows up on the ground there in June uh, talking about how strong the U.S. is and how great the support is for Ukraine, notwithstanding the fact that we did nothing about tanks rolled into Crimea. Now, uh Mr. Biden becomes president and Vladimir Putin starts testing it again. And during the summer of 2021, uh, Mr. Biden does not demonstrate any concern or interest in Ukraine as the troops are mounting. The U.S. starts worrying about the fact that the Europeans are less watchful of a border. Why? Because we take care of everything for them. We spent more money on their security than they spent. Uh, Donald Trump makes a big deal of that and is excoriated by the corporate media and the press and the Europeans. How dare he require that Europeans spend money on the border security? And ultimately, the Russians roll tanks into Ukraine and we're in this mess. That is... Politics of the international variety that starts with our own border. Here, Joe Biden announces before he's sworn in. That the southern border is open for business and folks are invited to, uh, to come to the United States.
1: He said surge.
2: Exactly right. And that surge started and we had tens of thousands of people welling up at the border uh, in anticipation of his uh, uh, becoming president, uh, that inauguration. And we ended up with a massive humanitarian crisis. That Mr. Biden then blamed on our security personnel at the border, uh, the immigration personnel for whipping uh, immigrants trying to come across the border, all of which was nonsense. And now it's happening again with the Title 42 skirmishing and the Biden administration seeking its repeal. uh, We ended up with another surge. And that is all politics. Terrible politics that has resulted in a humanitarian crisis that I'd like to finish up with on the other side of this break. If good, we good. May.
1: And uh, we'll finish it uh, with the Naval Observatory, too, right? Which is where this is ending up in Washington, D.C., which is where Kamala Harris lives. I am Seth Leepson, He is Hugh Hallman. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Leapson Show. I'm Seth. Hugh Hallman is my guest in studio. Delighted to have him. We're talking just about this news over uh, the preservation of Title 42 and the uh, destruction of our southern border at the same uh, time. Uh, Hugh, this was a uh, crisis that could have been tamed. It was fairly tamed. It wasn't uh, solved. It wasn't perfect. Uh, But no question, it has become exacerbated and um, looks to be getting worse all the time. Uh, the title 42 is a band uh, that is not a great place for conservatives to be on the side of, as you were saying in the last segment, because it keeps us, (coughs) excuse me, insisting that COVID is an active, um, an active issue for federal policy to be uh, deployed against. And, uh, okay, any port in a storm, I get it because we want to save lives on the border. We want to save the border. So we'll take it for now. But it uh, it leads one to a lot of uh, dramatic, uh, dramatic inconsistencies. That aside, it also leads to an exacerbated uh, humanitarian problem uh, that's going all the way up to Washington, D.C., uh, not just as a matter of policy but as a matter of, shall we say, personnel, people.
2: And here's what we end up with the corporate press uh, reporting uh, over the uh, Christmas Eve incident uh, now being picked up more broadly by conservative media. Uh, but for me, it demonstrated the immediate hypocrisy of the corporate media coverage on this kind of stuff with things like this. This is uh, the ABC reporting, uh, uh, quote, three busloads of migrants were driven to D.C. and arrived outside the Naval Observatory, unquote. Naval Observatory is, of course, the home of our vice president, um, continuing, quote, which is the vice president's residence. The migrants were later taken to a church by the Migrant Solidarity Mutual Aid Network, a local aid group. Continuing, quote, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, Republican, was responsible for Saturday's incident, according to ABC 7 and Fox News, marking the latest episode in a months-long effort by the governor to send migrants to Democrat-run cities as a way to encourage the Biden administration to take steps to control immigration in the U.S. In September, Abbott sent two buses, full of migrants to Harris's residence, sparking criticism among Democrats, unquote. Here's the piece that they beat to death in every newsfeed I followed. Quote, tonight on Christmas Eve, Governor Abbott's buses dropped off immigrants at the VP's house in the freezing cold, unquote. Yep. The freezing cold. Yep. And it went over and over again. For example, uh... The, uh, the NBC news feed was the same stuff, quote, but immigration activists on Saturday's incident was it said it was particularly cruel because of the freezing temperatures in the nation's capital and because it was Christmas Eve, period, unquote. And yet, I then had to pull the Department of Homeland Security statement just to make sure I understood how our federal government was seeing this. Okay. And I quote, The Department of Homeland Security continues fully to enforce our immigration and public health laws at the border, unquote. This is a statement they issued on Saturday, and it continues. This is the funnest part. Quote, as temperatures remain dangerously low all along the border. No one should put their lives in the hands of smugglers or risk life and limb attempting to cross only to be returned, period, unquote, says the agency. So here we've got dangerously low temperatures on the border and Governor Abbott sending a letter to the president of the United States saying that immigrants are coming across this border. The federal agents are, quote, arresting them, unquote, and then immediately turning them loose in Texas With no assistance, abandoning them on the side of the border, but on the U.S. side of the border in no better condition than they were when they crossed. Abbott fills buses with these people, takes them to the vice president's residence and puts them out on the street there. And he is accused of horrible action with respect to human beings. And yet tens of thousands of people are being abandoned by our federal government on the north side of the U.S.-Mexico border. With no assistance whatsoever, and that seems to be acceptable. Yeah, that's so, the hypocrisy so, we'll of this nonsense. one
1: hundred and fifty, uh, and ignore the ten thousand a day or five thousand a day. Yeah, I, I take the point. And you know, the interesting thing to me is it's not it. You know, the governors. It's it's really three governors who are doing this. Let me let yeah, me give you a quote from the
2: White House yeah. on that specific statement. Quote, Governor Abbott abandoned children on the side of the road in below freezing temperatures on Christmas Eve without coordinating any federal or local authorities. This was a cruel, dangerous and shameful stunt. That's the deputy press secretary for the White House, Abdullah Hassan, stating it for the White House. And this exact behavior is going hundreds of times over on the southern border by this White House. Shameful. Yeah.
1: It's okay in El Paso. It's not okay to see it in Washington D.C. What I'm just—I'm just trying to remember what it was Aristotle said. Fire burns in Persia, as it burns in Athens, but not to the—not uh, to the Washington Post, NBC, and ABC. Better that they just all uh, freeze in El Paso. Freezing in Washington D.C. is what we cannot handle because, of course, that will make it a national story and prove Karin Jean Pierre and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris wrong that the border is indeed not secure. Let's pick up on that when we come back. I'm Seth. He's Hugh. We'll be right back. Leapson show Hugh Hallman, former mayor and attorney, current attorney and educator and businessman is uh, my guest here in studio. Uh, we have here and there mentioned uh, the word, the country, Russia, uh, today, and uh, it's going to be probably a big story for the next several days, Russia-Ukraine. Uh, we talked a little bit earlier about it with uh, Brandon Weikert, but the Brittany Griner story has a few ripples uh, in its wake that, um, that haven't been adequately discussed. You picked up an interesting story about uh, someone no one knows much about. Sarah Krivenik
2: uh, was teaching English in Russia uh, for a number of years. And was picked up, in her view, likely because the Russians needed a uh, a bit of leverage against the United States. The sad thing for her, for Sarah, is that nobody in the U.S. government cared enough. And nobody in the various communities that supported Brittany Griner's release cared enough uh, because she's only a teacher, she is not a headliner for women's basketball, african american women, lgbtq issues, whatever it's your, America, you know. all, all of the different things you might have chosen as your category, she crossed over them. What's the phrase you use? intersectional. intersectional uh, intersectionality. Right and and here instead, sarah is entirely ignored by the us government and then ultimately was released. What's fascinating to me was the effort by which uh, this White House and its uh, others worked diligently to try to say that they had done something to assist her, that they'd attended all the hearings, had had followed her case very closely. And Sarah says, nonsense, that nobody showed up at her hearings. She was uh, effectively jailed by the Russians in the same way in which Brittany Greiner was, with a great deal of public scrutiny and press. Um and was under lo- that kind of lock and key for 11 months. And no one in America cared And about nobody her. cared. Yeah. And nobody worried about her. And she, by good fortune, uh, eventually was released. Started to tell this story. I've only seen it covered in one instance. So this is the kind of politicizing of our international relations that is disturbing. Um, when you have uh, an arms dealer... Of great value to the U.S. and clearly of great value to Russia, as the trade bait to get Britney Greiner back, um, we have spent a lot of political capital and embarrassed ourselves. And worse, we take the position publicly that we don't negotiate with terrorists. Right. But clearly, if there's enough political pressure within the U.S., uh, we're happy to negotiate. Yeah, with that's terrorists one of those because great. That's laws. what the U.S. was doing.
1: Yeah, it's one of those great lies. I don't mean great good. I mean great in. The sense of big. Um, We we, we always like to say we don't negotiate with terrorists. Of course, every administration here has. Israel has. I wish they didn't. I wish we didn't, Uh, because it guarantees that there will be more ransom. It guarantees there will be more kidnapping. It guarantees that there will be uh, more money for bodies. And and it's unfortunate. And I'm going to guess something else too, which I hope I'm wrong about, but I think I'm right about is you will. As much as Joe Biden said, we're going to continue to work in effort the release of uh, the U.S. Marine, former U.S. Marine uh, Paul Wheelan. I think his name is. You'll never hear his name again. Uh, that oh. that story. Yes, exactly right. I, that story is going to die on the vine. This was all about Brittany Griner. Um, and who cares who we gave him over for? Just as we did with Bo Bergdahl. Look, uh, Hugh, I, I, you know, I. I think about all these things, and I think about the rise of ISIS on Obama's watch. I think about the emptying of Gitmo, Guantanamo Bay, on Obama's watch. I think about uh, the abandonment of um, of our bases and our people and our allies in Afghanistan, and it and it really does get me back to what Russia must be thinking right now. And by Russia, I mean Putin and uh, and his uh, and his uh, fellow officers, his uh, administration, his his people fellow travelers yeah it just seems to me gang members what, yeah it just seems to me we're looking at a listless administration right now an administration that's kind of flying by the seat of its pants that's reacting to the news not shaping the news that's hoping for the best and doing nothing really getting all the worst when it came to the border uh, that we were discussing one or two segments ago um, there was one quote I saw. Uh, it, there is no plan. I mean, Title 42. Yes, it's a Band-Aid, but it's a Band-Aid against nothing. It's a Band-Aid with no plan by this administration, which if you asked Kamala Harris or and Pierre, they'll blame Republicans for not working with them on solving the border problem. The Democrats have not offered a border solution. They are talking about comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, They're talking about overall treatment of the immigration system, which I think we all have been talking about since at least, well, you say 2000. I I think I first became aware of it around 2004, 2005. But we we have an emergency right now. We have an emergency that um, is bringing in uh, criminals, that is overtaxing uh, customs, that is making a joke of whole idea of sovereignty in a border that is bringing with it a flood of drugs, 106,000, 107,000 deaths, uh, the primary uh, agent of which was fentanyl coming in from Mexico just this past year. It's the number one killer of young adults in this country now. And you've left out sex trafficking. Which I didn't is, even. Yeah, you know, I didn't even get people. to. Yeah, I didn't even get and, to. The and the here, sex is, and human trafficking.
2: here is your point. Here's yep. the here's the official statement by the Biden administration. Quote, as we have repeatedly said, we are willing to work with anyone Republican or Democrat alike on real solutions like the comprehensive immigration reform and border security measures. President Biden sent to Congress on his first day in office. But these same political thing Bush t-
1: sent. same thing, Obama sent, same thing. Yes, right. No, if it, yes, they're saying. We have a five-year plan that might work if we pass it in seven years. Uh, that's not the problem America faces right now, and it's not the problem our immigrants face right now. Anyway. Uh, the
2: humanitarian crisis yeah. on the border is real, and it is caused by the failure of the U.S. to demonstrate a an approach to securing the border that will stop the – Flow of immigrants from Central and South America. Mexico is no greater position than we are at this stage to stop this flow because it's caused by those very failed policies in the U.S.
1: Yeah, and we know we can do it because we had it done. Uh, the theoretical has already been proved by the actual. It's this administration that has taken its uh, hands off the lever of the actual practice of protection, protecting immigrants protecting americans protecting our border protecting sovereignty protecting our youth they have taken their hand off that lever they know where it is they just don't want to touch it go ahead with that uh, music now okay <laughs> i'm seven easy. you we'll be right back Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. It means a ton to us to be in your cars, your homes, uh, your heads, your hearts, your ears. Really, it does. And uh, we take none of it for granted, take none of you for granted. And uh, I take uh, Hugh Hallman, you, my friend, dear friend, not for granted either. Thank you for doing this uh, with us every Tuesday throughout the year. Uh, we'll resume again, of course, with you uh, in 2023. We'll be live uh, tomorrow in the next couple of days. But this is your last appearance with us for the year. Um just because you're here on a weekly basis. So uh, take it away. Well, your
2: monologue uh, today speaks about effectively gratitude. Mm. Effectively speaks about gratitude, I should say. And I think it. I would be remiss if I did not join in that. Uh, what I am grateful for uh, with the holiday season and Christmas in particular for me is that it allows me to express some gratitude to many people who have allowed me to achieve many wonderful things. I have been blessed by God with uh, talents that I did not earn. I just woke up and I, I had these things. But I had to refine them, and I am grateful for the mentors who helped me do that, my parents among them. But included in those are friends I have had over the years who helped shape me as a better human being, not a perfect human being, but in the uh, Aristotelian uh, effort or the Socratic effort to, to become excellent, I'm moving in that direction and only through the help and a lot of help of my friends to steal from your monologue that the Beatles didn't get it quite right. They said a little help from my friends. And in fact, I have required and you have acknowledged a lot of help from our friends is what's necessary. And the important uh, point I want to make is that as we look forward to the next year, instead of looking off the back of the caboose uh, with the light shining from it to see where we've been, we need to see where we're going and focus on that effort. And in doing so, try to give up the he said, she said. Yes, most of this hour we've talked about the hypocrisy that has abounded from this administration and how frustrated we are in screaming about the fact that the hypocritical, hypocritical efforts they make undermines this society. Well, let's just start setting examples on how to do it better, on how to move forward into the future. And one of the finest minds I know in that effort is sitting opposite me in this studio ladies and gentlemen when Seth Liebson speaks he speaks not just from the heart but from an amazingly powerful intellect that helps educate all of us to improve not just ourselves but this insi- as this entire society so I will remain grateful for the opportunity to spend time with you for the opportunity to be your friend for the opportunity to make you run uh, which he does on a regular occasion ladies and gentlemen let us all be grateful for our friend Seth Liebson.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's so nice of you. Aristotle said there are three kinds of friendship. The best kind is to have someone who makes you a better person. You all in the audience do that for us daily. And Hugh, obviously, you, you do that for me uh, intimately. Until tomorrow, uh, I am Seth Liebson. He is Hugh Hallman. God bless you all. And class is dismissed.